This morning's reading is Luke chapter 6, and we're reading verses 37 to 45. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. He also told them this parable. Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into a pit? The student is not above the teacher, but everyone who is fully trained will be like their teacher. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. No good tree bears bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. Each tree is recognised by its own fruit. People do not pick figs from thorn bushes or grapes from briars. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in his heart, and an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart, for the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Amen, and thanks be to God for his word. Let's pray. Father, we come to you this morning, and we ask that as we meditate on this word from your scriptures, that you would You would bless it to our hearts and our souls. You would bring us to you and to one another. In Jesus' name, amen. I've been coming to church all my life. That's nearly, well, it's more than 50 years now. And I've been a minister for 20 years of that. And I have to say this, this is a a first because I've never come to church for so many weeks in a row where there's been no fighting, no complaining, no squabbling, and no dissension at all. How do we manage that? Well, the answer, of course, is because there's no people here. Um, It's one way to do it, isn't it? The only way to do it, although (laughs) having said that, Elaine and I are here, so I don't know if people will believe that there's no squabbling or fighting, but um, when you're with your wife, you know, God's people yearn to be together. We rejoice in the news that we were given this week that from Palm Sunday, it looks like we're going to be able to have at least some of us meeting in this church. We yearn to be together again. God made us for community. He didn't make us for sitting alone in our houses watching a service, but for being together. And yet I suspect once we are able to be together again, just after a few weeks, we'll remember just how hard church can be Why? Because it's full of people. It's full of people. And people are at the heart of just about every problem we have. And yet, as we come to the story in the Gospels, and as we come to Jesus, what do we find? We find that he calls people. In fact, at the beginning of this sermon on the plain in Luke 6, you do find a passage in in chapter 6, verse 13, where it tells us that Jesus, just before this, called the 12 disciples, Peter, James, and John, and all the rest. And and as he called them, you you think, well, he's God. He, He knows these people. 
He knows James and John, who we will later find out, not just squabbling with each other, but, but, but protesting that they can be the best and the most important among the disciples. And then there's Peter, the rock, well, sort of. We know the stories of Peter and his denials and his running away and his getting things wrong. And then we're told among them he picked Judas Iscariot who would betray him. And you're left thinking, Jesus, didn't you know? Why did you pick him? We'd have thought he looked a bit shifty. But here's the thing. Jesus calls people. And he doesn't just call people, he sends people. His whole mission is to create a new community of these broken people. And that is his plan to redeem the world through them as he sends them out with the message of the gospel. And if you read through Luke chapter 6 and the Sermon on the Plain, the clear theme is people. In fact, we could entitle this sermon today and probably last week's too, how to treat people, how to deal with people. There was one verse that we skipped over last week a, a little bit that I just want to return to, and it, it's verse 31 of chapter 6 which says simply this, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The theologians call it the golden rule. Treat others as you would have them treat you. There's versions of it actually, not just in Christianity. There's versions of it in other traditions as well. Confucius said, the Chinese philosopher, what you do not want done to you, do not do. What you do not want done to you, do not do. Or Socrates, the Greek philosopher, said, do not do to others what angers you if done to you. Or the rabbi Hillel in the Talmud says, what is hateful to you, do not do to others. Or if you want to go right into a modern philosophy, we could quote the Google mantra that they give their staff, which is simply, don't be evil. The interesting thing about all of these statements is they all tell us what not to do to other people, but what Jesus said was radically different. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And it's that statement that really begins to create community. It's not just, I shouldn't do things that are wrong, or I, I shouldn't treat others in a way I don't want treated, but actually, I should do to others as I wish that they would do to me. Not even as they do to me, but as I wish. Do you wish that people listen to you? Listen to them. Do you wish that people accepted you and loved you for who you are? Then love them. Do you wish that people would forgive you when you did things that were wrong? Then forgive them. Do you wish that people would visit you or phone you or do something? Then start doing that to them. It's not even that we're to do to people the good things that they do to us. It's that we're to do good things to them even when they don't do them, but we wish that they would. It's radical stuff. And it's not just radical stuff because it's about my behavior. Actually, if we took this to heart, it would transform everything. It would change our politics. Imagine this. If you just took your imagination for a minute 
and thought, if you had to flee your country with nothing and go to a foreign land, how would you want people to treat you? Because that's your policy to asylum seekers. If you lost your job and had no income to feed your family and you had to go to the government and ask for money, how much would you want and what would you want the attitude to be? Because that's how we should build a benefit system. Do unto others as you wish, as you would have them do to you. Of course, this model isn't just ethics because the people who were told this, the people who were being taught this were the disciples and they were living it out daily with Jesus. They were seeing daily his love for them, his compassion for them, his patience with them, his care with them, his forgiveness with them. Can you imagine having a teacher like this that modeled everything that he was teaching you to be, that he was showing that to you? Do unto others as you wish that they do to you. Live for them the way that I am living for you. Of course, as we read the gospel right through, and I, I did challenge you through this Lent period to take the gospel of Luke and read it right through. If you haven't done that, there's still time left to do it. But as you look at it, what you will find is the, the disciples, as we've said before, make mistakes and they squabble and they get things wrong and it gets worse and worse for them as it goes on. Right to the end where we find Peter denying Jesus and the disciples running away. But here's the thing as you go through it. The more they fail, the more they get it wrong, the more Jesus loves them. In fact, just at the end of the gospel, when they are committing their biggest faults and their biggest sins against Jesus, Jesus is giving his very life for them. He is doing to them, for them, as he wishes that they would do in love for him. Empathy is we are told where we stand in the shoes of someone else and we try to understand what's going on in their life. In Jesus, God entered into our shoes to bless us and sacrifice for us, to forgive us and die for us. And in that act, people become a community again, finding in God the way to live for others. Jumping into this passage, though, this morning, it begins with quite striking words. Verse 37, do not judge and you will not be judged. I would want to suggest to you this is one of the most misused verses in the Scripture in our day. Because it's often quoted at people, isn't it? Don't judge lest you be judged. Don't judge. And what people mean by that is just leave it alone. If you leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. I'll not judge you. You don't judge me. Let me live my life my way. Mind your own business. Don't get involved. Don't tell me how to live my life. And that sort of don't judge anybody attitude chimes, not just with tolerance, but it, it chimes with the idea that I've got my feelings and my choices, my truth, my autonomy, and no one should tell me what to do, and I won't tell anyone else what to do. It's a radical individual idea. But I don't think that's what Jesus meant. 
when you read a Bible verse, you need to read it in context. And the first thing is we need to look at who's saying this. Jesus is saying this. And Jesus had absolutely no problem in calling out wrong where it was. He rebuked the Pharisees time and time again and said, you need to change your attitude. You need to change your life. He was with a woman who was caught in the act of adultery and he said, go and sin no more. He went into the, the temple where there were the money changers doing all sorts of evil and he spoke dramatically against that. In fact, he spoke in terms that would today be seen as a, a protest on the streets, turning over the tables. Jesus certainly didn't go through life saying, you mind your own business, I'll mind my business and we'll all get on fine. Not at all. But look also where this is said. Jesus speaks this sermon to his disciples. He is building community. He is building a church. He's not calling people just to ignore one another and get on fine. He's calling them to love. He's calling them to serve. He's calling them to live a corporate life. That is what it means to be a Christian. It's to be part of a family. It's not an individual spirituality where I go on in my life and you go on yours and I, I wave at you. Rather, it's where we live together and love together and care together and sometimes in love speak hard words to each other. So what did Jesus mean when he said, do not judge and you will not be judged? I think he meant don't condemn. Don't write people off. Don't shrug your shoulders and say, I, I don't want any more of that in my life. Let it go its own way. God judges everything. And the Bible tells us he will do it through Jesus Christ. One day he will call everything to account. And yet here is the judge that we are shown. The one who breathes forgiveness, who yearns to restore. Who calls back the broken, failing disciples like us. Don't write anyone off. So we are to mind each other's business and support each other and forgive each other. We are to love each other and sometimes to rebuke each other. Perhaps we see better what Jesus is driving at when we come to this very strong image that he gives, this wonderful metaphor of the speck and the log in verse 41. Don't try to take the speck out of your brother's eye when you've got a log in your own. Now, to understand this, first of all, we have to think that Jesus is a carpenter. He must have known what it was to get sawdust in your eye. It's really, really annoying. And the second thing that we need to understand is Jesus is actually being funny here. We've heard this joke so often that we, we lose the remarkable image. There's a guy with a bit of sawdust in his eye and you can sort of imagine him. He's trying to get it out. And, and here comes his friend and he says, I'll help you get it out. I'll, 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 you know, I can look very closely at it. But the guy who's come to help him has got a log in his eye. It's ridiculous. You can sort of see the scene, can't you, where the, the guy with the log in his eyes sort of turning, and every time he turns, he clobbers him. You could, you could write a comedy sketch all around this. The lesson is basically this. The guy with the log in his eye has no self-awareness. He may be focusing on the other person and the, their problem, but he's got no humility, no awareness of his own difficulty. Now, Think about this. What is Jesus' solution in this parable? He, he doesn't say, well, you know, the solution is leave the speck alone in your brother's eye so that you go off with a log in your eye and he goes off with a speck in his own eye and, and that's that. 
Everything will be fine. Now, what does Jesus say? He says, take the log out of your own eye, and you might need some help to do that, and then you can help your brother. We should gauge, engage in communal optical care. But if we're going to do that and build each other up and not knock each other down and condemn one another, then we're going to need a huge dose of self-awareness. If we were in church together right now, I, I would be saying to folk that you sometimes come to church and you're aware of the, the squabbles and the tensions, and, but are you aware of how much you've contributed to that? How much your prickliness or your defensiveness actually adds to that? It's the humility to say, I've got a log in my eye. I've been the person that's failed. I've not lived the life God wanted. I've contributed to this problem in the world today. But you know what? I came to Jesus. And in Jesus, I found the one who would deal with my log. The one who would love me despite the the failures in my life, the one who would forgive me, the one who would restore me. And because I have experienced that, maybe I can help you without condemning you or feeling superior to you. Maybe I can help you with that speck in your eye. Otherwise it is, as Jesus says, just the blind leading the blind and falling down a pit. But rather together, let me take this a, li a little bit wider. Do you, as you look at the world today, yearn for it to change? I, you know, I think as we look at all that's gone wrong this week, the positive thing we might have is just that we share something in the anger that people are expressing. We want the world to change. We want it to be different. We're angry at injustice. We're angry at racism. We're angry at sexism. We're angry at violence in our streets. We're angry at the fact that I've got to walk to the station to make sure my daughter's safe to come home because there might be some man who makes it unsafe. We're angry. Older folk look at our society to say and say, it's not what it was, and I'm angry about all the things that are going wrong. And younger folk look at our society today and they post on social media saying, look at all the dreadful things that we are ignoring. The problem so often with our anger though is it comes without self-awareness. Somebody else needs to change. That's what my anger's directed at. The government, the police, the this, the that, the men, the other. And what we so often don't come with is the humility that says, actually, we all need to change, and it needs to start with me being aware of what I'm doing. Do you want the world to change? Then start with self-awareness. Because maybe, possibly, that's the hardest bit. But maybe, possibly, that's actually something with God's help and with the help of others that you can begin to do something about. A woman is murdered on the streets in London, and I am angry about that. But I don't have it in the power 
my power to stop the man that does that or the next man that does it. But I do have it in my power to think about how I treat women, how I speak about people. I do have it in my power to challenge the language that someone else casually uses as they dismiss or demean. That I have in my power. And if all of us, particularly as men, started to take that seriously and look and reflect and not joke about it anymore, then maybe, maybe we would have a new generation of men that started treating the world differently. We could take that onto so many things, couldn't we? Do you yearn for something to be done about environmental disasters? Well, where is our heart when it comes to what we can do with our fuel consumption or our recycling? Do you yearn for the world to be fairer in its trade for the world's poor? Are we willing to take that as we do our shopping or, or buy our coffee or whatever else it is? Do we yearn for a world where people treat one another more respectfully? Do we yearn for a world where we treat people with dignity and we don't see people who are lonely? then how much of our time do we spend reaching out to those who may be, to having genuine conversations? We are right to engage with all that's wrong. That is exactly why Jesus was calling disciples, to take the good news of the Bible out and to have the world transformed. But it started with them. The humility to recognize that we are part of the problem and that God's work to redeem the whole of creation has to start with us. I'm always struck that as Jesus called these 12 men to start this new movement that would include so many other people, he took them aside for three years. And he didn't teach them a strategy. He didn't send them on a preaching course or an evangelism course. He showed them love. He loved them. And he gave them teaching that was about transforming them through the power of his spirit. And then they went out. They went out to proclaim the resurrection. They went out to proclaim his love and his death for the world. He went out to proclaim this new kingdom that had come in. But do you know this? They also went out with self-awareness. How do I know that? Because when you read the Gospels, amidst the stories of what Jesus did, there's also the stories of what they got wrong. And who told the church the stories of what Peter got wrong and what John got wrong? Well, it had to be Peter and John. Otherwise, Luke and Matthew wouldn't have known to write it all down. To go out with that humility and that self-awareness of our own feelings and of the forgiveness and grace that has been given us. And then we go out to a world not to judge it, but to love it and to see it changed and redeemed. Jesus says, in this passage in verse 40 that the student is not above the teacher. It's a very simple truth. If you want to teach somebody something, you've got to learn it yourself first. Um, you want to teach maths, you, you, you're going to have to swat up. You're going to have to go and study it before you can be a maths teacher. And I guess that's been the problem for many of you that have been homeschooling in these weeks. You've had to cram, haven't you? You've had to remember. You've had to check up, make sure you're at least a page ahead of the folk that you're teaching. 
Jesus is saying the same to us. If you want to change people, it can only come because you've learned what it is to be transformed. If you want to preach to people, you can only come because the gospel message has come to you first. If you want to share the good news with other people that their lives might change and they might come to a faith in the living God that transforms them, then it can only come because that's your own experience and you've learned it yourself. But of course, the disciples that were to be changed and were to be change makers came because they had the greatest teacher in the world. The one that didn't just teach them about love, but showed them. And that's the meat of this passage for us as well, right through this. If, if Luke chapter six is just taken as ethics of us trying to live, it won't work. But when we realize how much Jesus loves us, how much he sacrifices for us, how much he gives his life to us, that measure that just flows over because he gives more to us and the worse we are, the more he gives, then we learn the lesson of grace as he did to us. So we begin to learn from him how to do for others. Amen and thanks be to God for his word.